Hey, remember when the Blackhawks dumped Patrick Sharp to Dallas along with a prospect for Trevor Daly and Garbage Butt? This week's episode is brought to you by that. Forget the rats! Do the hats! Another right by Vegas! Another right by Vegas! And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph Ouster, locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for July 13th, 2015. Coming up on the show, meet the new Avs free agent pickups and where they might fit in the roster, comparables for next summer's signings, and some words from development camp. But before we play the whoosh, let's meet a familiar friend from BSN because the rest of MHH's staff were indisposed this week. Say hello once again to AJ. How are you, sir? Hi to you, sir. Hi to you. And with that, I guess we are just going to get right to it. And the whoosh is delayed. Cool. Uh, Colorado had made one of the earliest UFA signings of the day, bringing in Anaheim defenseman Francois Beauchemin, which I can't pronounce. I know that's not even close to right, but he's going to have to deal with it because we know he's listening, right? It's a 35-year-old who left Anaheim because he's looking for a third year at $5 million, and the Avs gave it to him, but only at $4.5 million. The brass see him slotting in alongside Eric Johnson to start things. So, it looks like this will be our new Jan Hayda. Uh, do you like the player? Do you like the deal? Um, I don't, I don't love either. But I think it was... I think, I think he was a perfect middle ground between young and really expensive, like Andre Sakara, and maybe, maybe a little bit older and dirt cheap like beyond hate it would have been so i feel like i feel like he's a he's a solid player still um i know that there's some hand wringing uh, about the third year being added to it but it doesn't really it doesn't bother me really as long as he's still a useful player uh in year one in year two i don't care what happens in the third year because by that point he should not be in a in a major role on the team anymore he should be relegated to more of a uh, a leadership role where he kind of sits back and <clears throat> helps the kids out and plays maybe third line minutes. Um, and by that point, you would expect certainly Chris Begrod to be in that top four. So, um, player player is fine. Um, he's you know he's a good hard nosed player. He moves the puck decently enough. Uh, he's not he's not Brad Stewart two that's the the comparison we heard all all week after the ad signed him. Drove me bananas too. Yeah, it he's much, much better than Brad Stewart. Much better than Brad Stewart. And you know, he has he has a couple hundred fewer games played, which you have to like as well. <laughs> um, you know, he doesn't doesn't have the mileage on him, the wear and tear of, you know, a thousand NHL games or whatever. It's it helps. It helps when you're talking about a guy that's aging and plays the physical and rugged style that that Boshman will play. Um, <clears throat> uh, the money doesn't bother me. You're you're paying four point five million this year for your top top pairing left-handed defenseman. That's you know it's a pretty good deal. Um, by the third year, four point five will be for what his role should be. Uh, 4.5 will be a little too much, but it's not a long-term thing. You're talking about three years. Um, the Habs have set themselves up intelligently with the cap, and with the O'Reilly trade, they kind of reset the clock on an Zatterock on a trade. yeah yeah okay Zatterock fine <laughs> fine. Um, <clears throat> they kind of reset the clock on expensive contracts to cheap contracts, 
so they're able to have a healthy balance throughout the their lineup of young guys who are still on cheap deals to filling a roster full of UFA prices. So <clears throat> the abs of the abs of uh, you know set themselves up intelligently. Um, the to the they haven't done anything that's going to shoot themselves in the foot too bad. Um, you know, like the Brad Stewart thing hurts, but it's not, it's not crippling. Um, so it's not, it's not terrible. Uh, if he really falls off the cliff in the next year or two, I might, I might have something completely different to say, but looking at it right now and looking at the player that he still is, I, you know, a, a tepid reaction. Um, I'm going to dig into this a little bit more in the next couple of weeks. I'll be, I'll be doing an in-depth post with a lot of video breakdown on him, but uh, until I do that, a tepid reaction. Yeah, it's it's kind of good to actually hear somebody talking sense about that instead of screaming Brad Stewart. I mean, because you see a defenseman coming out of California who's 35, and that's like the immediate reaction, you know, for three years for a little bit more money than Stewart. But, I mean, he's he plays, you know, 20 minutes a night, and he's and playing on the top, you know, top pairing for Anaheim most of the time, and he is, you know... Sure, he's got his unreal shooting percentage this season, which helped his point totals a little bit, but he's always been a reasonably even possession player. Even when he was um, up with Toronto, he's been relatively even. Um, he's a guy that people uh, went went back and kind of looked at the Anaheim fan reaction during the playoffs and how they would scream about him getting piloned against the Chicago Blackhawks. So, I mean, give me a break. So, to signing that I I like the player more than a lot of people do. I mean, if if he does fall off really quickly, then obviously things will change on this one. I don't like the third year at all, but that was what it took to land the player, and we weren't landing Sakara, and Franson maybe isn't a great fit, and Oduya doesn't look like he really wants to leave Chicago. So here we are. Yeah, I. You know, it it wasn't it wasn't a great market. Uh, the Avs were adamant that they not go beyond the the third year, and that was kind of what it took for San Jose to get Paul Martin. I would have liked Paul Martin more than than Voshman, but I don't feel like there's such a significant difference between the two. Yeah, not really. Um, I feel like I feel like at that point you're picking nits, so it's no big deal uh, for me. There wasn't if 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 you're not getting Sakara, at least they didn't get, you know, they didn't get one of the guys. They didn't get like an actual Brad Stewart of this year, you know. They and they didn't go, um, you know, they didn't go dumpster diving for somebody at the bottom who would just be cheap and you can just throw in there and, hey, let's see what happens. You know, right. I. <clears throat> We've been through that. Exactly. It's, they, to, it's good to not see it. They they got they got a decent player. Um, you can make the argument that they overpaid him a little bit. That's fine for me. The Avs are in a healthy enough cap situation; they can afford to do a little bit of that. Um, and I don't think it was an exorbitant overpayment of any kind. Certainly, um, considering he was one of the more highly sought after defensemen on the open market, four and a half million is just not. It's not killer. And you know he's a decent he's a decent player, so I think um, him with uh, Zadorov you you're talking about um, a top four that that on opening night next year is significantly improved. 
over what the Avalanche iced uh, on opening night last year. And that's that's the point of free agency. It's the point of the offseason. They've they've addressed their biggest weakness. And, you know, moving forward, we'll we'll see what they do. The third pairing is still a concern because they have a trillion guys that they could play there. <laughs> and the 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 fear is that they think that Brad Stewart, Nate Gannon is the, the ideal third pairing. Right. Um, and they push the other two guys who I think are both better off the ice. But, um, you know, and I don't know. I, I, I feel like I've said my piece about Boschman. They're, they're better. Uh, it's not a, it's not a great deal. It's not a bad deal. It's, it is what it is. It's a deal. And specifically with Zadaroff, I don't even know that this is about making next year significantly better. It's about making 2016 significantly <clears throat> better. Yeah. Than it would have been before, uh, before the draft specifically, and also before UFA. Because if we yeah. didn't pick up a guy like Boschman, then we were throwing Zadaroff over his head immediately. So, definitely. And um, you know, one thing, one thing to watch for uh, in talking with some ABS people over um, through through de- de- development camp, I, I was I had a chance to sit down and talk with some of the some of the guys in the organization. And there is a feeling in the Avs organization right now that um, they are, they are open to one of the kids in training camp, blowing the doors off everyone and making the opening night roster over the, the eight NHL contracts that they have right now. They're not, they're not averse to that. They're not so married to those eight guys that you can, you can just walk in and say with a hundred percent certainty, this is what this is. Right. They, they do feel like, there, there are two prospects that they have that, um, that are knocking on the door loudly enough that they they would consider with with great training camp showings, <laughs> they would bring them up and play them. So that's that's exciting as well, and that that certainly makes me feel better about them not going out and and signing a second guy like a Jan Hada or a Lubomir Vishnovsky for a. For just a one-year deal, you know, where you can just have that guy play your third pairing, mm-hmm. and you upgrade that third pairing, you just push one of those other guys off the roster. Mm-hmm. I I would have preferred something like that, just so Wah doesn't have the temptation to play one of those guys. But at the same time, um, knowing you know that the organization is already talking about the kids like that, that's exciting to me. So that's 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 a comfort. Who's the second one apart from Bigrow? Siemens. Okay. That's that's see that's good because it seems like he's just kind of quietly been <clears throat> drifting away. He got his one game in the NHL last season, so yeah, yeah. Chris Bigra actually, uh, <clears throat> interesting story. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, he uh, he apparently came into training camp last year and uh, had a bit of an ego on him, but a bit of a bit of a chip on his shoulder about you know. I'm I'm the man. I almost made the team last year. Just just you know, watch me work, and you know, Wah obviously didn't 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 like that too much, and he didn't play nearly as well in training camp nor in in preseason games, and got a little bit full of himself. And then the combined with the uh, the the WJC snub from Team Canada, um, really lit a fire under his ass, and the team the team liked that quite a bit. They they liked that. Uh, the the way he responded to that where he just he just decided okay f this and just tore it up after that 
See, I like that because it reminds me of Eric Johnson when he got traded from St. Louis, and his reaction was, all right, you're going to see what you're missing here. It's, yeah. Okay, fine. That's how it's going to be? Okay. So I I like it. I'm excited. Um, you know, having watched B. Grad at development camp and, you know, seeing him put in the work and all that. I, training camp's going to be fun this year. It's going to be the... It's going to be the, I've been saying it for a while, but it's going to be the most talented um, Avalanche roster, 1 through 50, that they may have ever had. And that's really important because of how decimated the cupboard has been forever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, no more, they're not, <coughs> they're not loading up on AHL contracts, AHL veterans. You know, they've got, what, one guy down there in Bend Street that's like a true AHL veteran. The rest of those guys are all basically prospects. So that's that's exciting that they're they've taken that approach and that the the building that they've <coughs> been doing <coughs> for the last couple of years is starting to pay off. Well, speaking of forward depth, the the Avalanche beefed up the NHL forward depth by adding three years of Blake Como, a former Pittsburgh Penguin. And if we go way back, he was also an Islander. He was also a Blue Jacket briefly. Um, this is three years at two point four million. AAV. Um, it's not a guy that I knew a whole lot about, and then I looked at some numbers on him, and I liked the numbers that I saw. That, that's basically my take on that one. Is that looks pretty good. The deal looks pretty good. Pretty happy with it. Uh, yeah, I've heard some people, you know, express an unhappiness that the Avs bought high on him, and that he just had by far his best season in the NHL and you know they rewarded him with a 3 year deal at 2.4 million. For me, 2.4 million dollars for a guy that's still in his 20s when he's going to most likely play third line minutes doesn't bother me much. Not a bit. It's just I could, you know, from where I'm sitting I'm just like, well, you know, you know what the hell do you expect? What do you what do you think they're going to be paying for guys to play those roles? So, you know, and he's He's kind of the the set and forget replacement for Jamie McGinn. He's he, he's cheaper. He's not coming off of a major back injury. Um, similar style players. They're both physical. They can both play anywhere in the top nine. Um, I think we'll see Como on the penalty kill, which is something I don't believe Jamie McGinn did for us, us the Avalanche. Um, I I like I like his game. Um, a little bit. I haven't gotten to see him nearly as much. When he was with the Islanders, he just sort of looked like a lost little kid out there. He just did not. It was no surprise when they waved him. It was it was like okay, bye. And I'm I'm happy that he's turned it around. I'd like to actually sit down and watch some video and break him down, and I probably will here in a few weeks. But <coughs> initial reaction, <coughs> kind of like Boschman's. You know he, he, he upgrades the the slot that he's was scheduled to, that he's supposed to be playing in. It's a decent enough contract. It's not it's not long term long term. You're not married to him for a really long time, and the money isn't money isn't a problem. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure where anybody would have a strong objection to to the Como deal. So I'm plenty happy with it. Yeah, I, I know that we're expecting to see him on the PK, and I, I'm pretty sure that was one thing that Sackick actually mentioned in the press conference that they then immediately called to be like, oh, we're done. Um, but over time, he has actually gotten less time on the penalty kill every year. So um, 
We'll see. I don't. I don't know what's up with that. I don't know if that's just a factor of him moving from team to team and having different role expectations. But it's not something he's done a lot of since he was a Blue Jacket. I I haven't looked into this, but I would wonder if that's just the fact that he's playing on better teams as he goes. Yeah, that could be too. I don't know. So I don't. I didn't. You know, I don't have any strong evidence that's, that would point to that. I don't know the guys that were playing in those roles, but. Um, with the Islanders, I'm, you know, he's, he's, he was fine. Yeah, he went from bad Islanders to bad Calgary to sort of okay-ish Columbus to Pittsburgh. So, I mean, that would make sense. <clears throat> but it's a deal that I like. He'll fit in um, probably next to, I would guess, Mitchell. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do uh, with their lines because he's – He's like Everberg in that he plays on his offhand or on his offside. He's a right-handed guy, and he plays on the left, and Everberg's a left-handed guy that plays on the right. So I'm not I'm not totally sure what they're going to do. The bottom six is kind of a jumbled mess right now, and I'm, I'm just not – I don't know. They have so many options and so many different line combinations to work through that trying to, trying to accurately predict where guys are going to be come opening night is, you know – it's, it's it's just a it's a mess right now. It's pretty futile, especially because we don't really know what exactly is going to happen with Mikhail Gugurenko. So, right. I mean, he he may be, and I, I would I would suspect he's going to be with the Avalanche, but I mean, yeah, we don't if know he, for sure. he he will be, um, yeah, I'm I'm confident that he will be now. And where exactly is Soderberg going to slot in? You know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of question marks on the actual rosterbation side of it. That <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they're talking if they're talking about McKinnon back at center or if that's just a dead conversation for now. What Soderberg's plan is, you know, how open they are to moving things around. You know exactly where they want Grigorenko to play. You know what they have. What what are they going to do with all the the mainstays who have been around on the roster because. They've brought enough talent in now that they're starting to push guys like Bordalo and McLeod to the very, very fringes of the roster. And, you know, how's how's Wall going to coach his way through that? The fact that the guys that he's relied on, the guy that he likes a lot, you know, they've, they've brought in clearly superior players. Is it going to be another year where we watch inferior players be given bigger roles because Wall likes them or, you know, as... Is his usage going to improve a little bit over the next year? You know, they've they've had such an encouraging summer in terms of their personnel department that the next the next step up is okay. Now it's on Wah as coach to to adjust. You know, to to use the pieces that they've acquired in a in a more intelligent manner. Yeah, and I just I just, I just get so boring in the off season because I'm I'm like very much okay. We don't really know anything, so all this is just I guess fun if you like to make paper rosters. I guess it's you know it's just kind of fantasy hockey out there. Um, but I, what I, where I get interested is to see what the team puts together and how what the team puts together works together because it's just like you can have the most amazing line on paper that you've ever seen and they go out go out and give up thirty goals and don't score one. Right. Just because they're shit together, so who knows? Um, but it is definitely encouraging to see the way the team has treated this off season, and people need to be okay with the free agent signings being kind of eh. 
because if you look at what the openings the team actually had, there weren't many. Right. We didn't. I mean, we didn't have room to go out and swing for the fences and bring home the guy. Right. And the especially when the guy is Andre Sakara. Yeah, there are some questions, you know, and I know I know Andre Sakara was like the big sexy piece this year, but at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy that you know he's. He's supposed to be a pretty good puck mover, but his career point totals are pretty underwhelming. He had one really good year, and then the rest of them are just kind of eh. And, you know, defensively, he's never really been asked to to play the role he's going to be asked to in Edmonton, and that he would have been asked to play in Colorado. So I'm, I'm totally okay with the Avalanche not throwing a huge deal at a guy like that where, you know, the Avs have a little bit more flexibility with Boschman and that... <clears throat> It's only a three-year deal. Uh, the Avs have been drafting defensemen out the ass for a couple of years now. So there are, I mean, even just in development camp, you're looking at almost all the best players that are out there. We're all defensemen. Is just defensemen all over the place. And so many of them are intriguing guys. Like, you're looking at a guy like Anton Lindholm, who tore up the Swedish league last year at the end of the year and was easily one of the best defensemen in, in his team's playoff run. And he's a guy that's going to have to scratch and claw just to, just to get a contract. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that not, not marrying themselves to a player long-term that might be miscast and overpaid is I'm, I'm totally okay with um, like having seen what the Sakara numbers were compared to the rest of the market, you know, good on you abs, good on you for drawing a line in the sand and saying this is this is who we are, this is what we want. You know, yeah. let's let's do business. Yeah, because there, there's going to be so much flexibility on the on Colorado's back end. Um, yeah, that I mean, I mean, we've got Jan Hayda's gone this uh, this season. Next summer, we've got UFA Eric Johnson, Nate Gannon, Zach Redmond, RFA Tyson Berry. Yeah. So I mean, that's four of this year's starting six from 2014 that are. Yeah new contract time will they stay will they go i don't know yeah and and you know and how often i mean you all you also look at ufa and you say how often is the big the big ticket signing the the guy that everybody the team that everybody wants to declare free agency's winner on july 1st or on july 2nd how often is that team a long-term winner you know, I mean, how many of those contracts end up torn up, bought out, moved later on? Like, it's more often than not that those deals by year four or five don't look as good. Mm-hmm. And I know everybody loves what Edmonton is doing right now. And it's hard not to to at least appreciate the fact that they've been aggressive in improving their team. Calgary, too. But, <clears throat> but when you look at when when you look at exactly what they're doing and there's. There's still a ton of question marks there. All those pieces have to fit the way that they think they're going to. So it's, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, I was disappointed. I, I really liked Andre Sakara. I still think he's a good player. I think he would have been great in Colorado, but with the, with the upgrades that they're making and just with where they're going, you know, he m- might have been a bit of a misfit a few years from now. You know, he could have ended up as a $5.5 million third-pairing guy, just like Matt Carl down in Tampa Bay, where you're kind of looking at that spot like, man, like, that's a decent player, but that's a lot of money for a guy who's playing, you know, 
16, 17 minutes a night. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it was almost disappointing. There weren't really any screamingly bad signings this year. I mean, it was almost boring out there. Even Matt Bolesky didn't get shockingly overpaid like everyone expected him to. Um, but we do have a couple of names from this summer to look at that might serve as indicators for a couple of the impending abs free agents the next summer. Um, and I do want to start with Andre Sakara. He got uh, $5.5 million AAV. That's over six years. And he's a year older than Eric Johnson will be next summer. But do, do you think we look at that deal as the starting point for Eric Johnson's deal? Uh, I think you look at it as a starting point, yeah. I think you also can consider like the Mark Stahl deal from a few years ago as a as a decent comparable, which is right and Matt Niskanen money as well because Matt Niskanen was a guy, you know, who he's a right-hander. He was right in that 27, 28-year-old range when he hit UFA. And those are all those are all the kinds of deals that you look at. And you say, okay, you know, moving forward, he's, this is going to be our number one guy. This is the money that they make. You know, everybody, everybody that there's been, I don't want to say everybody, it's, ugh. but there's been this prevailing thought among Avs fans that Eric John, the Avs should just give Eric Johnson $7 million a year and call it good. And I mean, if that's what it takes to sign him, fine. Like, do that, sure. But in looking at defenseman contracts over the, the last couple of weeks, and I've spent a lot of time on this. I don't know why the Avs would feel compelled to do that. Because and if you're not right Shea now, Weber or Ryan Suter, it's not happening. Right. Like right now, there are 11 guys in the NHL with an AAV of $6 million or higher that play on a blue line. And I know it's, it's kind of weird because the NHL values defensemen so highly, but they don't pay them like that. Duncan Keith makes 5.5 a year. Exactly. You know, and that's and that's obviously a sweetheart deal. And it's an older deal too. Yeah, and it's signed in a different a different cap era and blah 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 blah. You have all those qualifiers, but at the same time, like these are the numbers. You look at the top guys in UFA annually are signing these deals. You know, Dougie Hamilton, star defenseman, upcoming young stud coming off a 40 point season at he's like 20 what, 23? Something like 22. That. So, you know, when he he's came in under six million, why why would the Avalanche pay seven million for a guy who's yes, his defense has gotten significantly better over the last couple of years. Yes, he's turning into more of the horse that that St. Louis thought they were getting when they drafted him first overall. But and and yes, he can score some points, but even last year, with a bloated shooting percentage that was you know, the result of him going on like a two-week tear where it seemed like he was scoring every game. Even then, he was on pace to score 39 points last year. So, which is, I believe, is his career high. Is he a 39 or 40? It's like right in there. So even even in that situation, like he's not, he's not going to be the strongest point scorer. He's going to be a guy who puts up points. But... I think as as the Avs continue to improve their blue line, they're going to have the luxury of not having to play, not feeling, at least certainly not feeling like they have to play Eric Johnson on the first power play every night. You know, I mean, you have Tyson Berry. You don't need EJ out there playing playing the first power play unit. If you want to play him on the second power play unit, depending on who else is on your roster, of course, that makes perfect sense. He's a talented puck mover. But right now, you know, Tyson Berry could be an elite puck mover. You sh- he should be captaining that that first unit, 
And so, you know, when you, you start to look at all that, there's EJ. If he's asking for $7 million and that's what it's going to take to keep him, fine. But the market isn't saying that he need, he paid $7 million. It's just not. Defensive yeah, contracts just don't go that high very often. Yeah, you're, you're cutting up a little bit so, right now, but... Um... So I, I think the the main point's coming across pretty well. Dougie Hamilton, by the way, is 22. I checked. Um, and speaking of Dougie Hamilton, that looks like kind of a good sort of max indicator for uh, for Tyson Berry next summer. Like I don't see him getting quite that much, but that's going to be the sort of neighborhood. Well, maybe. I mean, you say that, but if you were to say that, that, that's definitely already world's better. I have recalled AJ, and the robot immediately disappeared. Um, so Tyson Berry versus Dougie Hamilton, start over. Um, basic, basically, anytime I talk about Tyson Berry um, on, on Twitter and I talk about how he should not, the Avalanche should not give him $6 million a year, I'm almost always met with at least one person sending me his points per 60, which is very, very good. It's in the top five. And so you know, the back is on ice shooting percentage. There's, there's, there's nothing that says he's not an elite offensive defenseman, and that's perfectly fine. But for me, like, unless you're, unless you're Eric Carl, PK Subban, you know, and I guess to a lesser extent Mike Green, who just got a six million dollar deal. Actually, I think that would make him the twelfth guy in the NHL then with a six million dollar deal. Um, but he's also done on it, you know for a hundred years like you're if if barry goes out and he, he puts up 55 or 60 points this year make the argument that you you pay him in the neighborhood of six million but again if you look at the market if you look at the market and you look at who he is and he is there's nothing that says he should be money you know chris Latang got seven million because he was paid he was staring down a ufa season where the, the avalanche aren't even close to that with tyson barry right now so I I don't see I don't certainly don't agree that the Avalanche have to pay Tyson Berry that kind of money. I I think be a lot he'd be a lot more appropriate in the in the four to five million realistically. I would try and get him at four and a half million. Ends up going for five and a half million, fine. Like I can I can live with that. But if you start talking about six million you better be damn sure that you're right about him as a consistent elite point producing guy that that is going to put up 50 points no matter what. And he looks like he could be. We just don't have the kind of track record to say that that's going to be who he is for sure. In a year that he's his on ice shooting percentage was something like 10 or 12. That's that's not something that happens every year, guys. Well, and, and if you look at his career and you look at John Michael Lyle's career, they start out remarkably similar. And, you know, guys like guys like Lyle's, guys like I mean, it gets to a lesser extent, a guy like Dennis Weidman, you know, you have these you have these puck moving guys that, that come out of the gate hot and then they start to slow down a little bit throughout their career. And I know Weidman's kind of had some up and down years, but I mean, look at you specifically look at Lyle's because they're. They're so similar in stature. They're so similar in their their flaws in their game on the defensive end. And they're so similar in their early career point production that 
for me, that's a big reason for apprehension where you say, okay, you know, yes, he's had a great start to his career, but, you know, maybe, maybe like you're saying, you know, maybe some of the percentages are helping him out a little bit here. And is he, is he really a 50 guy or is he more of like a 35 to 45 point guy instead of a, a 50 to 60 every year? Because the market says that those guys get paid very differently. You know, like everybody, everybody sees that he scored 50 plus last year at, I think he's 20, 23 or 24. And, and it's like, oh, you know, we have, we have something special on our hands. And yeah, he's, he's an, you, you can't, you can't reasonably say he is not in that class right now, the top 10 of, of point scoring defensemen, because he's definitely very, very good. But I mean, look at, look at what Kevin Shattenkirk got paid. It's not, you don't have to pay him six million. You just don't. There's nothing in the market that says you have to pay that guy that money. So I he's twenty three. Twenty. Okay. Yeah. I know he was in the 09 draft class with Duchesne and O'Reilly, and those guys are all those guys are all twenty three, twenty four as well. So that's a, that's a nice little draft, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if Stephen Elliott ever, you know, pans out for somebody else, it could be a really fun draft and to look at in the future. So um, Nathan McKinnon will need a new deal next summer too. Um, uh, the bridge deal has sort of been going away, but we still saw one from Tyler Toffoli or Toffoli, whichever syllable gets the accent there. Two years. <laughs> I think he would get more than three point two five on a bridge deal, but that was what Toffoli's was. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko is going to bring home seven point five million for the max years allowable under the CBA, and Brandon saw a distinct six years in Columbus, backloaded to six million AAV. Um, from where I look at this, I think that we next summer we'll probably see McKinnon coming closer to Saad than Tarasenko, unless he just goes bananas this season. Yeah, he's the guy with the biggest variable. The I would say the most on the line, the most money on the line in the immediate future, because if he goes out and he puts up the kind of season I think he's capable of putting up, you know, he he goes to that thirty forty goal plateau and he blows up for ninety a hundred points right in that range. And he he throws himself into that. Hey guys, I'm no longer just a, a a a guy with a ton of potential. I'm now elite kind of conversation. Then yeah, you might you might see him get the Tarasenko money, and I wouldn't have an issue with that. Um, but if he doesn't do that, if he if he has you know a you know, nice little 28 goal season, 70 points, you know, right in that range. I think you'll see him come a lot closer to to Brandon Saad money if the Avs decide if if everybody decides it's in his interest to go long term. I think it's probably going to be what he does to go long term. I mean, if if he has a disaster season or you know gets hurt and misses half the year or something, then maybe not. But otherwise, I think we'll see one of the longer deals. Right, like you remember Duchesne's third season. The end of his at the his final ELC year was the year he hurt his knee and he played through it and he ended up scoring like twenty points in fifty games or some nonsense and it was just. It was it was kind of a nightmare for him, and he ended up taking that three and a half million dollar bridge deal. You know, if the Avs if the Avs walk out of next offseason having that kind of a deal, you know, that's a that's a major major win for them, I think. But there's also <clears throat> there's also an argument to be made that the Avs would be it would be in their best interest to get him at at the the kind of a Tarasenko or Sod price now. So that they uh, they aren't paying you know increased market prices a couple years from now because 
as much as defenseman contracts are not sharply rising, forward contracts are. Definitely. There's a, there's a ton of guys out there making six, seven million dollars now. So it might be in their best interest to just bite the bullet and and pay him a bunch of money right now. But either way, honestly, without without sitting here right now, without knowing what kind of season he has, I'd be fine with really any resolution. As long as they don't end up getting into an O'Reilly level like shitstorm where things I, get contentious. I will drive to Denver and punch everyone in the face. Okay. We're not doing that, that again. That that sounds I'm I'm kinda hoping for this now because that sounds <laughs> that sounds awesome. Everyone I, I meet, punch it in the face. <laughs> it's going to be a great news story. It is. <laughs> that, would, that would make international. That'd be great. That, that is like Florida man level of anger right there. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely the kind of thing you would see on that on that Twitter. Um, so you and some of your other fellow writers over at BSN and some other fellow Avs fans and everybody who is anybody and is able to get there. Spent the week at development camp. Um, you saw a lot of skating and a lot more skating. Yeah. yeah, we saw a little bit of shooting, which is adorable. It was like a total tease. <laughs> but they, they dared show us other skills other than skating. So um, that was that was most <laughs> of it, right? It was just kind of working on power skating and technique and those kinds of things. Yeah. Anybody surprise you? Uh, Sergey Boykov shocked the hell out of me. Um, you know, not knowing much about him, having not watched a, a second of him on film, going into development camp, nothing. Like, having never seen the guy play before. I had no expectations whatsoever. Was obviously really curious because they used a sixth-round pick on an overage Russian kid who was playing in the queue, not scoring points, didn't have a great plus minus, which, you know, is a pretty terrible stat, but it's something. It's basically all we had on him. Exactly. And like there's nothing about him that said, hey, this is this is this is a deep sleeper type pick. You know, that it immediately it to me it immediately felt like the Dylan Donnelly pick of a few years ago where it was like, what the hell was the point of this? <laughs> and then I saw him skate and it's like, oh, okay, so there's at least one really, really, really good tool there that the Avalanche figure, hey, he's got this down. You know, having not seen him play defense, having not seen him make decisions, having not seen him do any real hockey things other than skate, I feel a lot better today about the Boykoff pick than I did when it happened. Any disappointments? Um... And I know it's it's a difficult question for disappointments over skating drills, but like, and it's, it's so much of it is is context, you know. And there was by the third day, I wasn't watching their skating as much as I was watching the guys and how they went about their business, because by the third day, you knew that they were doing skating drills. You knew what the skating drills were going to be. They talked about it beforehand. You knew what you were going to getting ready to watch, and you knew which guys were standing out. You knew which guys were going to struggle a little bit. And so I spent most of the third day just watching the players go about their business. And I came I came away with some interesting observations. Okay. In that, um, like, 
a guy like um, Nick Nicholas Maloche, you know, who's a 40th overall pick this year. Uh, I really like the pick. I really like his play style. Didn't love him in development camp. Like he was a very okay skater. He wasn't the best in his group. He wasn't the worst in his group. He was just he was just sort of out there. But what I I didn't love was the fact that he was not pushing himself very hard. Uh, and I was I guess you could say I was disappointed in that in that he was not taking himself out of his comfort zone. He he was constantly for the, the drills that he had the most trouble with. He was constantly trying to cheat. He constantly was doing the whole, oh, coach isn't looking. I'm going to take a couple of normal strides so I can get around this and be done with this quicker. And then he would go back to doing the drill when he thought somebody was looking or if he got yelled at. And I didn't I didn't love that. You know, that's not. It's not I, I, I didn't I didn't love that. It, it didn't look great. It was just it was bad optics. And I'm not going to make any like like sweeping judgments or anything about any of the guys based on three days of them skating. You know, you keep all of it in context. Like AJ Greer looked incredible, but he didn't display any hockey skills whatsoever outside of skating and an insane work ethic. But, you know, three days of skating, you're not going to draw any solid conclusions there. And I didn't, I didn't love Malosha's approach to the coaching that he was getting. Uh, on the other side, I loved Connor Pleakley. Um, his skating is—it's—it still needs a lot of work. He really struggled in some of the drills, but you saw him. You know, he was constantly taking himself out of his comfort zone. He fell down a couple of times, which meant that he was actually—and he fell down actually working on the drill, pushing himself. You know, trying to expand that the the boundary, trying to trying to actually accomplish what the coaches were doing. He took all of his coaching to heart. He worked real hard. I liked I liked the way that he received coaching and the way that he tried to implement it. Um, uh, Jean-Christophe Baudin, same thing. He he took the coaching seriously. He struggled a little bit, especially uh, the second day with the Mohawks, where everybody everybody struggled with the Mohawks, basically outside of the top two or three guys. And and Baudin, he really. He really took the coaching well. I loved watching him when he wasn't in a drill because he was just he was always doing something a lot like Greer. Like he's always moving the puck around. He's always he's always trying something. A lot of the times he would be trying to to do the drill while he was waiting in line to actually go through everything. He'd be behind the play. He'd be behind, you know, at the end of his line and he'd be he'd be skating around doing his own thing, trying to to work on the things that the coaches had given him. And I loved his – you could tell that he was a creative guy. His approach to a lot of the drills and how he handled the puck and, and kind of the way that he did things was a little different than everyone else. Like consistently he just took a different approach to to completing the drills and how he was going to go about scoring. The coaches, okay, here's what I want you to do. And, you know, 10 guys would do it one way and then, and then Boadin would go out and do something just a little bit different. And it was consistently like that. Things like that, you know, you things like that stand out when you start to pay attention to to the small things when you kind of understand, you know, okay, these guys are all just skating. I'm seeing the same things over and over and over. There's nothing to report here. You start looking for other things, and so those those things really started to stand out. Uh, JT Comper, it's it's really easy to see why he's a captain. A lot like Bleakley, um, just works really really hard nonstop. Really just just puts the effort in consistently. 
And he was a very popular guy at camp too. He uh, he made made fast friends with Boykov. They were in a group together. And Comfer was a guy that was always skating over to other guys, you know, talking to them and you know, kind of pumping them up, giving them giving them the butt pat and saying, you know, you know, good job or whatever. And you know, personalities had a chance to stand out a little bit because. You know, you're you're watching such limited actual hockey skill that you can spend a little more time on those things. So, it, it was it was interesting to see some of the characters uh, start to come out, and definitely some of the guys who who were receptive to coaching. Um, and I guess this whole thing just sort of spiraled when he asked about disappointments, and you know, Nick <laughs> Nick 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 Malosh and his his consistent need to cheat. Um, uh, Pepin didn't. Pepin was really disappointing as well. Um, he's a guy that didn't push himself at all. Anytime he had trouble with a drill, he just punted it and just totally mailed it in, was not pushing himself, was not trying, just was not not interested, just flat out was not interested in what they were doing. You know, when when they were doing the rush drills and he got to he got to use his body and he got to, you know, fend off a defender and he got to he got to drive a net and put a shot on goal. All of a sudden, he had a little jump in his step. But otherwise, he was just totally – he checked out. Like, he would start the drill, and as soon as it was clear that he was not very good at it, no, it was done for him. He just did not have any interest in it. It's cool that they actually had, you know, open to the public on-ice sessions with development camp this season. <clears throat> it's it's nice that they've brought in a skating coach to try to work on some of these issues. All It's a lot of positive stuff in – in the fact that it even happened, let alone what actually happened while it was happening. So I'm talking in a circle now. But, yeah, it was great to see. Yeah. It's great steps forward. Yeah. That's something we've always been kind of wishing for. Like, hey, it's development camp and we're going to, well, that happened. Okay. Yeah. Learn how I to would... be a pro, I guess. Well, you can do that and work on skating and go run up the incline and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, unless you've got any more thoughts on UFAs or on Dev Camp, I think that will lock us down for the day. You know, I will add uh, one quick note. Um, I know a lot of people. I'll just touch on a couple of guys. I know a lot of people had had uh, tweeted at me and at the BSN account about um, Miko Rantanen and making the team and all that. Uh, it's it's not an observation I saw a whole lot of out there. But I do I do want to try and temper people's expectations for Rantanen potentially making the NHL team. Um, it's still a couple of months away, but training camp is it's it's not so far away. And Rantanen, he's a big guy, but he's very skinny. Like he has a lot of filling out to do. So I think um, you know when you spend the summer roster baiting and trying to trying to project him somewhere the smartest places to project him i think right now are going to be the ahl or finland because he he's a big guy he moves real well he's a good skater i wouldn't say he's an elite skater uh but he's he's definitely a really good one and you know some of his puck handling every once in a while he'd dial up a shot and it was it was sexy it was it was hard not to get excited but he is very very slight of build uh he's got a lot of filling out to do between 
now in training camp if he really wants to really wants to push for the NHL. Um, there were a lot of positives to take from him over the over the the weekend, over the I guess week, but temper I would say temper the expectations a little bit because there's a there's a lot left for him to to do uh, in terms of getting his just physically getting himself ready. Um, Ben Storm surprised me a little bit. Um, I'd never seen him in super villain. (laughs) Right. I'd never seen him in person. Uh, he definitely, he, he kind of looks like Captain America. Like he just (laughs) came out, like, like he came out of a bottle. Like there's nothing natural about what he is. He's enormous on the ice. And I was really surprised how well he moved around the ice and then anytime I saw him do it with a puck, well, a lot like Mason Gertzen, honestly, where they could they could get both of those guys were doing really well in skating drills. Uh, Gertzen was a standout <coughs> in the skating all week, but anytime either Gertzen or Storm got the puck, they slowed considerably, and it was obvious that they were just nowhere near as comfortable having a puck on their stick as as some of the other guys were. So. It's just just interesting, um, and especially watching Ben Storm. Like anytime he got the puck, immediately out of his comfort zone, just get this thing away from me. It was like the little Jamie McGlynn, Jamie McGinn three second clock that you could see above his head every time he got the puck, where it was just like, okay, the first second he was fine, and then by the third second it was a full blown panic. <laughs> it was it was kind of like that with Ben Storm, where he would go through a drill, and by the time he got to the end of it, he was like, get this thing away from me. So it's, you know, again, not, not really, you're not going to draw any strong conclusions from that, but considering, considering all the, the mixed opinions and I would even, I would even lean towards predominantly negative opinions that I've heard about storm. I was really pleasantly surprised with the skating, but everything else, anytime, anytime I really like watched him closely was, yeah. Um, I did want to ask you we, whether the goalies got like any individual goaltending kind of work, or if they were doing all the power skating stuff too. Uh, they did. They they had four sessions per day. The first session was in completely. The first hour was totally dedicated towards goaltenders. Okay. Um, they had um, uh, Filitro was working with all the guys on the ice, um, giving them all individual instruction. All three goalies ran through all the drills. Uh, Martin did not participate on the third day. Um, there's a handful of people have asked me, you know, which guy has looked best. And I would say probably Spencer Martin. It's tough because you don't, you know, all three are coming off of varying degrees of knee injuries. And so it's hard to know, especially, um, with, with Pipoc, you don't know when, when, when the injury actually occurred. You don't know the severity of it. It was, you know, it was all very cloak and dagger. It happened. He didn't play all year, but he looked to me. He looked like he was moving around fine, wasn't laboring any. Uh, the same thing true for Roman. Well, I thought he was moving around just fine. Um, Martin was definitely a little slower and and labored a little bit, especially on the second day. He looked like he was in in kind of that. All right, I'm in pain. F this. You know, I'm I'm good. Um, they all did participate in the power skating stuff. Martin actually looked great in them. Uh, he definitely looked like the most athletic of the goaltenders. 
the one thing style wise, and I'm I'm not a goaltending scout. I don't like to watch goaltenders very much because I'm just not comfortable talking about their game. I've never played the position. I've never gotten any kind of goaltending coaching. I just don't. It's it's all from a relatively uneducated opinion, but but you know here it is anyway. Um, I liked what what Martin did in net more than the others. Uh, he got he got real low in his stance. He gets real low on his skates a lot, like Varley does. Not nearly as low, but um, and he was athletic enough to move around and to be able to play that kind of aggressive and. Uh, you know, get get real low to the ice and challenge shooters, cut a style. Uh, he was athletic in, in moving around, going post to post. He looked pretty good for the most part. I mean, again, coming off a major knee injury, and he only started skating about a month ago. So he he definitely obviously was laboring a little bit and had some struggles, but I liked a lot of what I saw about Spencer Martin. The more that I've seen of him, the more I think the Avalanche have something potentially special on their hands in him. It was uh, Spencer Martin and then Pipok and Roman Will, right? Yep, yep. Just those three? Yep, and Pipok was interesting. Um, he he has more of an upright style than the other two, whereas Roman Will kind of looks like he's like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Like he's <laughs> like, he, he really hunches over in his stance and it looks like he's like constantly falling forward and to, to stop pucks. Um, Pipok is very upright. Um, and he, he loves his glove hand. He loves to challenge people and leave that glove open because he just has all the confidence in the world that he can, he can snag that thing. And he made, he made a lot of really good, good glove saves over the week. A lot of, a lot of real big flashy saves on pucks that were ticketed for the top corner. But he also let in a lot of goals, like short side, very, what I, what I would, what I would call soft goals if they were in a game setting. So, and you know, and you know, you never, you don't want to ding a guy too much for giving up goals in those sorts of settings because you don't know how much of that is the coach saying, hey, I want you to do this no matter what. I want you to work on these situations. I want you to try this. So it's, you know, you don't, you don't put too much stock into it, but it was definitely interesting to see him at least just, just for the once, you know, getting to, getting to put eyes on a player that you've never seen before. Right. So kind of been a kind of been a mystery for most of us yeah it was it was nice to see a couple of the euros you know it was nice to see martinson and lindholm um um westland again and and pipok so well uh thanks for thanks for stopping by for a little bit longer than we expected on a on a july afternoon i'm sure that you are working on all kinds of stuff for for your own projects right now so i appreciate you yeah, this is this is actually it for me. Um, my vacation starts as soon as this call ends. So. Well, well, GG. I'll end it to you. Let, let you get to it. Um, everybody knows to check us out at milehighhockey.com and to give the site a follow, both on Facebook and Twitter. They are both slash milehighhockey. Um, you can always check out the podcast on mixcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast. You can check out the podcast on soundcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast. And you can also grab our RSS feed from the post on the site and put that into your favorite podcatcher if the searching for it on its own doesn't work out. We will talk to you again soon. I'm not sure exactly when, but it will be sometime in the near future with looking ahead towards next year. Keep your head up, get to the dirty areas, and enjoy your summer.
That wasn't a bad outro for not having written a word. <laughs> Works for me. Just kind of blew through it, and it worked out. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, that half hour to 45 minutes, that went more like 55, so...